reconciliation. I won't re-preach it for the benefit of all who were here last week. If you were not here last week, I do strongly recommend to go back and listen to it. You'll still get something out of this. It's not like you're going to totally miss. What was he talking about? But it does connect and a slightly different approach. And so you'll want to go back and listen to last week's. But I told you that last week we were going to cover four aspects of reconciliation. Last week we looked at the groundwork for the topic of reconciliation. And then the first aspect of reconciliation, which we covered, was confess the sin. Confess the sin. So we went in depth into that last week. Tonight, we're going to cover the last three uh, aspects of reconciliation. And so, uh, the biblical pattern for reconciliation week two, let's pray that God would speak to us and that he would anoint me and he would anoint you to receive what he anoints me with and that we can all walk out of here happy. Jesus, we love you. What a privilege. What an honor to walk into your presence, to know that you are here. You were here before we got here, and you inhabit the praise of your people. You love us, Lord God. You are interested in us. You gave yourself for us. God, I never take that. I don't want to ever take that for granted, Lord. Help us, all of us. We have that same mindset, that prayer to worship you, Lord, not just with words, not mindless words, but intentional words with actions, with who we are. Help us to reflect your image, Lord, because we are so thrilled to be a part of the body of Christ and the family of God. In your name we pray, amen. So the second aspect of reconciliation, because I don't want to just give a long runway, we already, we already looked at that last week, so I'm going to jump right in, is repent by changing the mind and behavior. Now, I know we talked about confessing the sin last week. Well, repentance, what, what, what is that kind of tied to confession? I kind of covered that last week. This is a little different, and it's repenting by changing the mind and behavior. When making any significant changes in our lives, this goes for anything. Saving money, budgeting, exercise, eating right. This is not just a spiritual thing. Anything in our lives, two crucial steps have to take place. Number one, thinking changes first. And then actions. Too often, we wake up and we're like, for now on, I'm going to do this. And we just think we're going to revamp our lives starting tomorrow. And, and even this happens spiritually, too. Sometimes people will come and they'll say, well, how do I start doing this? What about, what about spiritual gifts? What about apparel? What about this? And as the old saying would go, you put the cart before the horse. The number one thing I tell people you know where, right where you are, you're starting your walk with God? Focus on getting to know Jesus Christ. Just focus. It, it don't, don't start going, well, I need to do this and this and this. I got to involve, get involved here. That's wonderful. I love your passion and vision for where God's going to take you. But it starts with thinking. It starts with basics. And so if we start trying to change actions before we change thinking, it will, it will not last. That's why I say if we're, if we're not thinking, you know what, I really need to exercise. And tomorrow we're like, I'm, going, I'm joining a gym tomorrow. People do this every January 1st. And it just doesn't really work long term because act, we tried to change actions, but thinking didn't change. Okay? And so our thinking has to change before anything else. The book of Revelation records the Apostle John writing a letter to the Ephesian church in the first century. He challenged them to reestablish their love in their relationship with God. Love, 
appeared to be missing from their relationships. They apparently stopped loving God and substituted activity for relationship. Boy, does that ever still happen? So, in his letter to the church in Ephesus, Revelation 2 captures that. It says, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Guess what the seven golden candlesticks are? The churches. What a beautiful picture of God walking among his church. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how that thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which they say they are apostles and are not and you found them liars. And hast borne and hast patience and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. I mean, starting again, all the churches except for Laodicea kind of start with this commendation before condemnation. So, hey, here's what you're doing right. You guys are doing some things. I like this. This is good. He says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and it will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. This is, uh, this is not in the notes, but one thing that I, I, I've mentioned this, I say it all the time, and kind of when God quickens something in my brain, I want to say it again, because somebody might be here in person or online that needs to hear this. And that is, I remember, I'll never forget one time when I prayed at an altar, and a lady in the church I grew up in came in, and she had a vision that I was going to hell and I was going to burn. And that's like all she told me and walked away. And I was like... That's very disturbing, very discouraging, very frustrating. So I'm going to my parents. I'm going to Pastor Tamil. I'm like, what is going on? And my dad said something that I will never forget. He said, Gary, that's not from God. And I said, well, how do we know? He said, because God will not just throw at his people in a time of grace condemnation without any hope for restoration. And he said, now, if she would have said, I have this vision, but turn from your ways, and God will, and just like what we read, here's what you're doing wrong, but remember, and we're going to look at kind of what does reconciliation look like, because this world that we live in paints a picture that God just accepts for who you are. He loved you. He died for you on the cross. Just keep doing what you're doing. That's also not Scripture. Because there is judgment that is coming, and Scripture tells us all about it. And, we're, and what do we see? He says, and we're going to look at this. There were, in this part of the story, there were three things to do, and one thing that's going to happen if you don't do those things. And so, this can still happen in churches today. Believers can get active in their church, and we should be. I believe we have over 70% over the age of 12 that serve in some form of active ministry. That's incredible. That should be the case. Human relationships, though, sometimes will get replaced by work, school, home, church, sports, classes, clubs, social activities, or, even, or either social media that's supposed to connect us, but it really doesn't. We get busy doing that we forget to love. And ministry, as I just recently talked about, it's always about people. 
It's always about people. It's not position. It's not power. It's not schedule. It's always about people. And so God inspires John to address the church because they got so busy they forgot one of the primary purposes of the New Testament church. And John writes about this in different places. John 12, 13, 35, he says, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. If you ha-, he does not say if you speak in tongues, dress, white, worship, right, go to church. All those things are great. But he says, you know how people are going to know in the world that you're truly my disciples if you love one another. And then 15, 12, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. 1 John 4, 7 and 8, you might be able to say that one. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And you see, you know, how I, you know I, I didn't Bible quiz, but I always could sing this verse because of Salty in the Songbook. <laughs> Anybody ever listen to Salty in the Songbook? Raise your hand. Y'all are missing out. They need to bring that thing back, okay? It is amazing. Why should I think about myself? And, and she drinks up all the punch and uses the bowl to eat her lunch. And they teach us, uh, teach us not having selfishness. I'm giving you great, great wisdom right here. And, be, and so this one was, Beloved, let us love one another. And yeah, anyway, okay. You need to go on YouTube and Google Salty in the Songbooks and Harmony and Melody and Melody and Harmony and... Yes. If you get nothing else out of this message, I just gave you a golden nugget. (laughs) Let us love one another. Love is of God. Everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. You cannot live a life as a Christian and not love because you are truly not a Christian then. Because he said God, it's not like God loves. He has an element of love or like, oh, yeah, he's, he's talented or he can sing. He can, it's not just like a talent. God is love. It, it's literally the starting point of love. Love emanates. It starts with, with God. And so we can't say God is in me and I in him or I love God and I serve God when there's not love present. God is love. We have to love. And so when it comes to this topic of reconciliation, if you are one of the couple of note takers here, uh, the second one is repent by changing. The second aspect of reconciliation is repent by changing mind and behavior. But I don't want to confuse you because kind of three sub points or four sub points underneath this point are what we're going to look at what God gave the Ephesian church. He gave them a three-step repentance plan and one warning if they failed to do so. And so under this heading of the second aspect of reconciliation, I'm going to go over these things that he gives this church. And so the three-step repentance plan, step one, he tells them, remember. God lays out what he has against them. He says, here's what you're doing right. Here's what you're doing wrong. Now, first word he says is verse five. Show verse five, please. He says, remember. That's what he starts with, okay? Here's what you did right. Here's what you did wrong. Now, remember, therefore. Most formerly, good relationships 
Begin on good footing. Now, I know I've, I've done counseling before. People come into counseling, and their marriage is on the rocks, and they're like, and I was like, well, tell me about it. And I start to hear this. It's never been good. From day one, I don't know why I married this person. It's never been. I said, never. So there's never been one moment of happiness. No, not, not, even, not even before you started, when you started dating. I mean, there's just there's nothing, not a single thing. And then we press further, and we're like, okay, well. Yeah, we went on a couple of dates. That was enjoyable. I mean, the, typically you're going to find that every, even if the relationship is struggling, at some point there was good footing. There's some cases it's not. What I often find is in those cases, there's drugs and alcohol involved, to be honest. There, usually the relationship was good at some point or another. Most formerly good relationships deteriorated when loving attitudes and affections diminished and one is now merely doing something out of duty, not motivated by a heart of love. Just, well, this is what I'm supposed to do in this role. And the resu- this results in, in hurtful actions, words and thoughts that further result in withdrawal and distancing, avoidance, criticism, And these things can result in separation, divorce, and alienating friendships. It's not just romantic relationships. The Apostle John describes the direction the relationship goes when love-based attitudes and communication are what we might call fallen. If we stop participating in any relationship out of love, the relationship has the potential and probability to fall. Because... If all I ever do now is go, I'm only pastoring this church because I get a paycheck. And I don't know what else to do with my life. And so, just got to show up on Wednesdays and Sundays and listen to y'all. I mean, imagine. I'm not going to do a very effective job. And you're certainly going to figure out quick, I don't want to stay in this church. But here's the thing, like, I, I love you. I love serving you. I love being here to pray over you and hear from God for you. And I know that I feel that reciprocal, uh, reciprocating relationship that you're going, hey, if you need some, we're here. Don't, don't face things. On, I know that when we go through something, you guys got my back. We're a family. We're a body of Christ. It's a beautiful thing. I love doing this. And so... But if at any point, it's, 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 I'm talking about being a pastor, but I'm talking about your, your children, spouse, anything. You're saying, well, bless God, I've been married for 11, 12, 15, 18, 22 years. I don't know where else to go. I might as well just stay here. <laughs> just like me, what I said as being a pastor, your spouse will be able to quickly figure out, you know, I'm not feeling very loved right now. And so when it moves from love to duty, it can fall. So the first step, he says, hey, you guys did a lot of things right. Remember is the first word. 
You're doing some things wrong now. You know what reconciliation starts with? Reconciliation, you and God, you and spouse, you and others. It starts with remembering. Remember why you got into the relationship in the first place. Remember why you came to an altar with tears in your eyes. Remember why you said, God, forgive me of my sins. Remember why I went down in the waters of baptism. Remember why I raised my hands and felt his spirit descend upon me as I began to speak in other tongues. Remember why I said I do at an altar and asked you on a date and said, I want you to marry me. Remember. That's the first step in this area. The second step is in the repentance plan that we find in Revelation is repent. He says, 2.5, he says, remember, therefore, once thou art fallen, and now second thing, repent and do the first works. There comes a time when we must repent for these hurtful patterns of mindless duty. We talked about it last week. Repentance begins with acknowledging that we're wrong and then confessing the specific sin. We just worked on this with our kids. He did something, and Jackie said, say, sorry. He said, sorry, Dad. And Jackie said, sorry? What are you sorry for? And then it was specific. Why? Because in humanity, we like to just say sorry for everything I've ever done to you. You know, you really hurt me. Well, sorry for all of the things I've ever said or done. No? Let's talk specific. We cannot change what we do not first believe is wrong. I worked with people in marriage counseling. And this was many, many, many years ago. People are not associated with this church. But there were some issues in there. And money was being spent. And behavior was changed in the home because of this person's use of marijuana. And it was regular all the time. They couldn't function without it. No matter what they're voting on, it's still an addictive substance. And so this spouse was going, listen, I don't want my husband to use this. And the, and the spouse would try, his husband would try for a little while, but then we finally got to the root of the issue. And he was like, it's not like I'm killing anybody. I'm not taking cocaine. And he was saying, there is nothing wrong with me smoking marijuana all through the day and waking up through the night and using this to function as an individual. Now, myself and his wife disagreed with him. But there wasn't going to be any changing of behavior because he refused to see anything wrong with it. And so, if we don't believe something's wrong, our behavior, you can try to change your behavior, but thinking doesn't change, behavior doesn't change. And so, what is the standard of right and wrong? Well, that's the word of God. Our behavior must be ju judged according to his word. And when we see, see our wrong and God's word convicts us, we need to be ready to confess and repent. There has to be a change of mind. Why? Well, repentance does not start with actions. It starts with revising our own thinking. We don't, we don't just say, okay, I did that wrong. I need tomorrow to start changing the way I behave. It's not going to happen. Thinking has to change. Our, our, our mind has to go, this is not correct. This is not God's plan for me. And so therefore, because my thinking is different, I want my actions to be different. 12.2 says, be, be, be transformed, Romans 12.2, by the renewing 
of your mind. If we try to change our actions and not our thinking, it's just a matter of time. We will return to the actions because we never really saw the need for the change in the first place. And so reconciliation can't happen when someone's like, I don't see nothing wrong. (laughs) Well, it's going to be tough then. That's why I always say this about true change. True change only takes place when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. Let you ponder that for a second. True change will only take place. I'm talking about when it comes to eating right. We can say, yeah, you know, today I went to Sam's Club, spent too much money. My wife might make me sleep on the couch tonight, but... This lady had this thing, and it was soda that has apple cider vinegar in it. And I was like, you lost me. Apple cider vinegar is putrid smell. You're putting that in soda? Yes, but it helps your gut. I was like, I got no argument that I need to eat more and better. I'm not more. (laughs) There was a time in my life that was the case. Today is not that day. Eat better, healthier. But Apple said it. She's like, you need to try it. So I tried it. Little, you know, they give you those little souffle shot glasses things. And so I drank this. And she's like, what kind? Cherry limeade. And it just tasted, you'd probably like it, Caesar. It tasted like seltzer water. And I was like, it's not very sweet. And this lady next to me, she's like, well, I haven't drank soda since last year. So it's very sweet to me. And I was like, buy it then. <laughs> I was like, I just drank soda yesterday. And it was really good. And it didn't taste like this. But I'm not arguing that I should eat and drink healthier. But you know what often happens? We do it when the doctor says, hey, you need to change something. You know, I really need to work out. I need to lose this weight. Until somebody says, hey, this is killing you. Oh, my goodness, i got to change something. People don't think about smoking cigarettes. Oh, until they say, listen, you got lung cancer and still people won't change but this is often when we start going oh my goodness or something happens in marriage that goes okay I gotta change as a spouse and typically true change only takes place when the pain of staying the same is greater becomes greater than the pain of change So in the Revelation repentance plan, we see remember, repent, and then redo. Look at 2.5. He says, remember once they're fallen, repent. And then he says, and do thy first works. In other words, do what you know you should be doing, what you did in the first place. Redo it. Redoing must be a lifelong commitment. It needs to be worked on daily. Relationships are work. I don't care if you're here going, well, I got the best marriage in the world. I don't care if it's your 11-year anniversary today. Nine. I was speaking ahead. Pastor and Sister Cole have been married nine years. And uh, and I'm just just confident they're going to make it to 11, so... But relationships are work. And so meaningful relationships require intentional energy. 
There's going to be days that my wife will wake up and be like, man, I just don't feel absolutely madly in love with him today. And it's probably rare. <laughs> but let's hypothetically say maybe she has a day. Well, she doesn't always wake up going, he's just so good looking and he's just so kind. He does everything I want. He communicates exactly how I want him to communicate. Sometimes it takes more energy to love someone than other days. Reconciliation requires us to remember, repent, and redo. To do the things we knew to do in the first place. If we choose not to do these things, God gives a warning to the church. I told you, repent, remember, repent, and redo. If not, he says, I will come unto thee quickly. Quickly. And remove thy candlestick from out of its place. Why would he do that? He's walking among the churches. And if someone refuses to follow his restoration, reconciliation plan, will he remove you quickly? Why? Because he doesn't want someone walking among the churches that won't live in a spirit of reconciliation. Because reconciliation is the plan of God. And so our series on this four aspects of biblical reconciliation. First, confess the sin. Second, repent by changing the mind and behavior. And we looked at the repentance plan in Revelation. Now the third aspect is rebuild trust. The third aspect of reconciliation. Rebuilding trust after sin takes time. I know that we would love to say, I broke your trust. Hey, I asked, I already said I was sorry yesterday. Let's get on with it. And they're mad. <laughs> if you're watching online, you're like, who's mad? They, they got, the youth are right below us, and they made a big noise. <laughs> Keep the online audience in the loop. They're going to be like, what? When any relationship begins, trust, trust is the basis of all healthy relationships. I don't know anybody that's like, you know, we have this amazing relationship. We're so close, whether it's marriage, friends, spiritual, anything. And they're just like, you know, like you talk to me. He's a great pastor. You know, he does all this. I just can't trust him at all. Well, then we probably don't have a very good relationship. Or if your spouse, you're just like, you know what? They're really good. I'd say at least half the days of the year I can trust my spouse. It's a wonderful marriage. Nobody says that. Trust is the basis. And so... When any relationship begins, a person begins to rely on the integrity and consistency of the other person to whom they are entering into whatever type of relationship. God makes it clear in his word over and over that we can trust him. And when somebody has been let down by people in a lot of ways over time, sometimes they even bring that lack of trust, that mistrust to God. Well, everybody else has let me down. Listen, God is not going to let you down. He's not like everybody who's broke your heart or did things to you, okay? And so he, we can trust him, but, but, but can he trust us? Let's not just put it on God. Can he trust us? Every relationship we enter into comes with a certain element of not only trust, but of responsibility. We're responsible to keep the other person's needs and boundaries paramount in our mind. Someone should be safe and secure in any type of relationship with us. 
No matter what that relationship is, we respect them, their boundaries, who they are as a person. And so they know I'm, I'm safe with this person. And we must not only think of our own feelings and our own outlook. If we, if we do, trust will be broken. <laughs> Somebody has a revelatory. Wait, so in marriage, I don't just think about me? <laughs> yes, that's true. When sin or pain are caused in any type of relationship, guess what is usually the first thing to go? Trust. And when that happens, one of the greatest challenges of reconciliation is rebuilding trust. Because you can say, okay, I went ahead and confessed the sin. I repented. I did this. Now it's time to rebuild trust. Somebody can say, all right, I forgive you. But you've heard people say, well, I forgive them, but I don't trust them. Well, you need to. Well, just be patient. That's a process. That takes time. The violation of trust is like a sword just plunged into the innermost part of our heart. And I'm not trying to be melodramatic, but that's the truth. Trust can be deeply wounding and sometimes can be destroy destructive. I mean, Dave Ramsey goes as far as in his book, Entre Leadership. He says if any one of his employees has an affair... The person is automatically fired because he says, if your spouse can't trust you, I can't trust you. That's intense. Proverbs 18, 19 says, a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. And their contentions are like the bars of a castle. How long does it take to win someone back, to rebuild trust? Like, let's look through the scripture because I want to use this on whoever's trust I broke. Only the offended one knows. That's often decided by things like how many times they've been hurt before, the severity of the previous pain, who did it, how close they were to you, and more. There's a lot of different factors going on there. So what we have previously talked about regarding confession of sin and repentance, that lays the foundation for this third step. And this is the important step of rebuilding the trust of those you have have damaged. Just as a large structure might look, you know, it might be built one brick at a time. So the journey of rebuilding trust takes place one healthy interaction at a time. And if you don't, if you have broken someone's trust, please, 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 I understand. We preach usually at the person that you need to forgive, you need to let go. Do you want God to forgive you? Absolutely, absolutely, 100%. That's still biblical and that's something we need to think about. But please don't misuse scripture against someone. Like you hurt them and you, and you, you, you destroyed some things. You're like, well, you need to forgive me. The Bible says, don't remind them of all the hoops that you've been jumping through. Well, just the other day I went here and I did this and I did everything you asked me to do. I think it's about time that you forgive me. No, they will decide because there's a healing process going on there. You broke their trust. Pray for them. Be kind. Work to restore again. Regain confidence. They know God called them to forgive and they're working on it. Confess the sin. Repent by changing the mind and behavior. Rebuild trust now. Rebuild the relationship. This is reconciliation. In order to rebuild, we must be honest with ourselves about what actually took place in the conflict. 
Truth is usually the first casualty in conflict. And then trust is broken when truth is let go. When truth, either spiritual truth, literal truth, is compromised, reconciliation is needed. Truth must always be restored to the relationship. I've te- taught my kids, oh, it's been a handful of times they, lay, they lied to me. I will look at them and I will say, don't you ever, there's nothing in this world. Take your consequence if it involves one, but there will be greater consequences. You're not only lying to dead, you're, you're, you're destroying something in our house that is, a, that is a foundation of everything that we are, of why we exist, of the way we're going to function in this home. You are also destroying things between you and Jesus because you're lying and lying is a sin. And so not only do you need to be straightforward, tell me, look at me and say, yes, dad, I messed up. I did this. And then now you need to go repent in your room and talk to Jesus because you lied. Like, I don't mess with that. There's a lot of different things that we can parent different and all that. But lying destroys the fabric of the home. Trust must always be restored in any relationship. Truth must always be restored. Reluctance to do, so reconciliation is needed when truth is compromised. It's very important that all aspects of the conflict, past, present, future, potential, be identified in light of truth. You know, you ever see a, some kind of entertainment or something where somebody's holding back and lying, and you're just like, why are you doing this? It, like, never works out. And then at the end, somebody, you know, the truth comes out, and they have to work through it. Like, just tell the truth from step one. But it's really hard, yeah? Reluctance to do this usually comes from fear. Fear of acknowledging a reality that one does not want to face. Of experiencing an emotion one does not want to feel. Of assuming a responsibility that one does not want to assume. Or admitting a motive that one does not want to acknowledge. Say this again because you will find when someone withholds truth, it's usually one of these four things. Acknowledging a reality that you just don't want to face. I want to just pretend it's not there. Experiencing an, emo- an emotion that one does not want to feel. Yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to re-dig, rehash up things that I've tried to ignore. I don't want to feel that. Truth needs to be restored. Assuming a responsibility one does not want to assume. That puts a weight on my shoulders. I would just, no, nah, I, I, I don't want to go there. Admitting a motive one does not want to acknowledge. Why? Because there is where we got to look inside our heart. And go, something exists in there that's ugly. I don't want to acknowledge the fact that that ugliness has gotten in my heart. I don't want to acknowledge the fact that I've let that in. If you're trying to rebuild in the reconciliation process, you must be willing to do all you can to assist in what can be a painful process that's working toward and headed toward restoration. And as you are working through all of this, make sure to restore your personal spiritual disciplines. Rarely does someone completely disregard truth, walk away from God, and invite sin into their lives when they're praying daily, fasting weekly, 
and reading the word every day? Rarely. I didn't say doing ministry. People can do ministry and look the part. But not everybody that does ministry has strong personal spiritual disciplines. I wish I would never have to say that statement in a pulpit. But it's the reality. You would be better off to remove yourself from a ministry and focus on your own personal spiritual disciplines and deal with the ramifications of that than you would be to just pretend everything's okay and give from an empty vessel. I'm just about done. Do what you need to do in yourself. And then begin to work and focus on others. You see, God's calling all of us into the unity of the faith. Real life situations can present roadblocks to his will. Why? Because anytime you gather, I don't care if it's a church of 10 people, 80 people, 150 people, 1,000 people, 4,000 people, whatever it is, whatever it is, you gather a bunch of imperfect individuals who all have really weird quirks. And we look at other families and are like, they're kind of weird. And we're normal. You just hear about things people do, and you're like, that's strange. Why is it strange? Because your family never did those things. And so it makes them weird and you normal. And then we have communication patterns, and people were raised in different homes where parents played different roles. Some were more active, some were not active, some were in single-parent homes, some were, didn't know their parents, some of their parents did terrible things to them. And so it, it, it all molds and shapes us into who we are today. And then we all come into this holy sanctuary, and what unites us is not that we dress the same, eat the same, talk the same, have the same parents or anything like that. It's, 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 it's the bloodline. But not the bloodline as though we know. It's the bloodline of Jesus Christ. It's the fact that what happened at the Tower of Babel and how all the languages were separated all of the people. And he says, no, I'm going to give you cloven tongues like as a fire and you're all going to speak the same language. And how you're going to be filled with my spirit and there's going to be unity and I'm going to shed my blood for the church and I'm going to, and no matter, and then Jew and Gentile, there's neither bond nor free, Jew nor Greek, and I'm going to graft you into this tree and you're going to be part of the body of Christ and you're going to be, and you're going to be part of my family. And how many of you know, just by spending time with family, even if you're the same bloodline physically, not even spiritually, even that can get weird at times. Don't shake your head too much if your family sit next to you. But yet he looks at us and he says, I'm going to bring all these imperfect individuals. And I don't put, he doesn't put a stamp of approval on everything we do and say. But he loves us and he calls us to be united in one mind and one accord. And he calls us into this one place and he says, I want, to, I want you to go on a journey and I want to 
mold and shape you in my image. And you're going to help one another. You're going to bear one another's burdens and love one another. And, and, and here's, how you, here's how the world is going to know that you're my disciples. Because they're going to look at you and they're going to see the love that you have for each other. Love doesn't mean it's always easy or everything's always acceptable or there's not pain. But there's going to be roadblocks on this journey. And he's saying, and along this way, I gave you this beautiful gift of reconciliation. And that's not just reconciliation because sin tore us apart, but that's reconciliation that I've showed you how to reconcile you and me. And I want you to do that with others too. Because if we are not willing to accept the gift of reconciliation and work toward that, he says, I will quickly remove your place from my, among my churches. Why? Because the church is not a place where we can hold on to the things and say, oh, I'm just, uh, I love everybody, but I hate those people right there. That one, that one, and that one. No, 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 no. Will you always get along with them? Will you always agree with them? No. I don't read anywhere in Scripture that it says you have to have someone like that over at your house every Friday night to play cards or eat dinner together. But there better be enough love in the church where we go, hey, you know, there's some people that have really hurt me and wronged me, and some of them were even in the church. But I want to accept this beautiful gift of reconciliation, and if I'm the one trying to reconcile, I'm going to recognize and confess my sin. I'm going to repent first and then try to change my actions. I'm going to work to rebuild trust. I'm going to reconcile based on healing and, and aim to rebuild that relationship. This is what I see scripturally for God's plan for reconciliation. And as you stand to your feet, only you know if you're maybe in a place where you need reconciliation with God. Maybe there's some things that have torn he and you apart and you're going, man, I just, I've fallen so far. I don't even know how I got to this point. Follow this plan. Recognize and confess your sin. The altars are about to be open. Repent first in your heart and then in your actions. Say, Lord, I, want, I don't want to just trust you again. I want you to trust me. God, I want, to, I, want to, I want to work to rebuild this relationship between you and I. Or maybe it's somebody else that's here or not here. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a friend. Again, like I said last week, maybe it's me as your pastor. And there's something I'm not aware of. Let's reconcile. Don't let this, don't let the roadblocks get you off course. This is, as we read last week, this is a beautiful gift of reconciliation. And these are the principles for life that can help us navigate the process. Let's find a place to pray this evening before we leave. Let's talk to him about where we are with him, with others. Maybe he's going to put something on your heart. Maybe he'll put someone's name or face in your mind. And maybe it's time to start the process of reconciliation. To not just justify it or say, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to process that emotionally. I don't want that burden of responsibility. Now, I don't want that awkward conversation. Don't, don't let flesh justify hard things when God's trying to do something beautiful in our hearts and minds and lives. Jesus, we worship you. How? Lord, let my, let my words... Let my process of reconciliation 
Let my thoughts, let my actions help me, God, to be a worshiper through the way I live and carry myself, God. I want to be the man you want me to be, Jesus. Give us the lead. 